Hello, I'm Derek Doak, and you're listening to the Real Estate Investment Insights Podcast. For over 25 years, I've been serving the investment property industry, from preparing tax returns for property owners when I worked in public accounting, to creating multi-million dollar syndications as a commercial broker. Throughout my career, I've always had a passion for learning and teaching what I've learned to others. This podcast is for fellow brokers, agents, investors, and real estate syndicators wanting to learn from those that have done it. My goal is to bring value to you through the sharing of best practices and industry knowledge. Each episode is geared towards providing knowledge and insights on industry topics and trends. Please enjoy this episode, and if I can be of any assistance, please reach out to me at Derek at dokemail.com. Now enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another Real Estate Investment Insights podcast. I'm your host, Derek Doak. And with me today is a fellow NAI brethren with NAI Elliott out of the Portland office. And I'm excited to talk to uh, Elliott today uh, as it relates to uh, what they've done as a firm. And we're lucky today to have Jordan Elliott with us to talk about all the great things going on in Portland. And yes, Portland is open for business. So Jordan, without any further ado, why don't you give the people a little background of yourself and the firm and we'll go from there. It's nice to be here, Derek. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So I'm Jordan Elliott. I'm the president of NEI Elliott and we're a full service firm down in the Portland metro market. Um, Actually a little bit further afield than that, but I'll explain that in a second. So uh, our company actually started in 1982 um, by my parents, Lou and Mo Elliott. Um, they started really at the ground level of property management, taking care of a public market in Eugene actually was their first quote unquote commercial real estate experience. Uh, they got a taste for the industry and ultimately moved up to Portland and did some similar work with uh, kind of open market concepts and then grew from that to suburban shopping centers and then, you know, Two, two suburban shopping centers, then five suburban shopping centers, and then an office building here and a medical building there, an industrial park uh, somewhere else. And, you know, 40 years later, we manage uh, about 150 properties, over 7 million square feet of all property types, primarily retail to our roots. Um, and then along the way, we added brokerage. And uh, I'll actually share our recent newsletter with Derek so he can include it when this goes out. But it tells the story of that that uh, intro into brokerage coming after, you know, a big investment firm had picked up a property and used the big brokerage in town to lease up most of the space. And then there's that one 2000 foot space that's left or that 1500 foot space. And that big brokerage firm is not going to do it. So the, the owners would come to us and say, well, you know, can you lease that with the property management? And so we spun off a brokerage department about 25 years ago. And uh, in fact, that broker is still with us who moved from property management over to brokerage. He actually was our top performer last year, believe it or not. Um, and that started our brokerage department, which has now grown into 15 uh, independent contractor, you know, full service brokers. And then we added construction management along the way for the same kind of reason. It's like, hey, can you, you know, prepare this space for a tenant or, you know, can you help us with this roofing project or the, you know, take care of the asphalt every year? So we've got that service and then obviously all the property accounting that's the backbone of, of your property management. So we're full service in that sense. And um, my parents grew the company and had a great run. And about five or six years ago, they said, you know, if if you're going to come over to the company, now would be a good time. Uh, we're we're kind of ready for that. And 
I actually had a, a 15 year career in education, starting at the the most lowly spot you could start in education, you know, being a coach and putting letters on the reader board for parent meetings. And then uh, over time, I actually grew into being the principal of the high school uh, where I was working. And so I did that for nine years. And I always like to half joke, but also half uh, accurately say that being a high school principal is perfect preparation for commercial real estate um, because you're dealing with all kinds of personalities in both environments. And honestly, some of them overlap. So well, I, I can see why you do so well in property management, for sure. I mean, because property management is definitely uh, a lot of times it feels like you are dealing with junior high kids uh, or high school kids, if you're lucky. Yeah. You have a little bit of aptitude. Well, I mean, so when you grew up, I'll, a little side tangent here. When you grew up, were you like, I'm not getting into real estate? I mean, the furthest thing from my mind is I see it at home every day. I hear all the stories. And it's like, I am not going to go into commercial real estate. Well, you know, I think my um, my parents played it exactly right. They they never put pressure on me to join the company, and they really gave me space to do my own thing. Um, and I I honestly just kind of like you know followed my interest through college, and it led me back to education, and um, I really challenged myself to get into a leadership role and and grow through those ranks. So uh, for me, it was more about the challenge and just kind of drawn to the opportunity to do organizational development and, and to lead people. Uh, and so I, I got some pretty good repetition with that, um, doing what I was doing, which couldn't have been better preparation, honestly, for coming over and working in the company. Um, and honestly, as in, in terms of less the real estate part, but in terms of a, being a multi-generational family business, the best thing that generation two can do is not work in the company at the beginning, because you can get burned out. Like you said, you've grown up with it, you've lived with it. It can be just kind of like, oh man, I'm, I'm stuck in this rut. But I didn't feel that way. I came when I was ready and they were ready for me when it was the right time. And so it's worked out extremely well. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I, I always, I have two daughters and um, they are, their furthest thing from their mind is wanting to be in real estate. And that's okay. You know, I got yeah. one, it's a ballerina and the other one, it's a, a more of a global communication type person that's saving the world and making it a better place. So um Totally you never know. Different. They might come back around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that some of the things that we put in, that they'll come back and say, hey, I want to be a part of real estate. But if it doesn't happen, that's fine, too. Um, let them be who they are. Well, as you know, as we up here in Seattle and, and other markets that, I'm, uh, that listen to my podcast, I mean, unfortunately, we hear all the negative stuff that's going on in Portland. I mean, Portland's a beautiful, beautiful city. My grandparents... Uh, you know, grew up there. Uh, my grandmother worked at White Stag, you know, sewing uh, the uh, uh, sleeping bags. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we go out to Milwaukee every summer. And, uh, and so I know the area really well, um, love the area and still have relatives down there. And unfortunately, you hear some of the negativity that's going on. Um, you know, maybe you can give some insight on really what is going on? I mean, how, as far as the market and you're open for business and there's still a lot of great things happening, maybe give us some highlights on that. Absolutely. No, I, I think that your your headline there about Portland being open for, open for business is very true. There, um, again, I'll, I'll send you some uh, analytics you can share with the audience afterwards if you're interested in, my, in our newsletter, but we had, we participated in the more transactions than we ever have in the last year. We had a higher total uh, transaction volume than we've ever had. I mean, it's just outrageous, outrageous activity in Portland right now. Um, and it, it's more than that. I think that the fundamentals of the city are strong. 
we have challenges, but I think the entire West Coast is having very similar challenges. And uh, there's kind of an opportunity for our city leadership to rise up and take those on, which hasn't happened yet, but I'm seeing positive indications. All that said, there are many sub-markets in the Portland area that are thriving uh, and have thrived during this whole situation. And there are many opportunities for um, investors to join the market or for people who are already present here to really improve their assets. So a couple specific examples I'll share is that the um, suburban markets of Portland have thrived during the pandemic. And I'd, I'd specifically point to the Vancouver area, which is over the river and in your home state of Washington, but part of the Portland metro area. We're seeing properties that we've managed and leased there for years and years and years. And, and in some cases still had you know gray shell space from when they were originally built a decade or more ago. Those spaces are all getting filled up. Uh, they're mostly retail. They're mostly smaller. They're mostly kind of, you know, not the main thoroughfare, but a secondary thoroughfare. And the demand is very strong for that kind of space. And so our owners who have been in that market for a long time are finally getting fully occupied uh, retail centers. Beaverton, which is the biggest suburb of Portland and, and one of the largest cities in, Port in all of Oregon, frankly, um, is just thriving right now. There's a lot of new construction. There's a real downtown Beaverton now, uh, which has always been there, but it's much more of a destination location. Um, and then there's, of course, you know, really robust developments that have come up right near downtown, but also a little bit further out. And again, all of those are extremely strong. Uh, in fact, our next newsletter, which will come out, maybe of interest to your audience when it does, is really highlighting how Beaverton has thrived. And there's frankly almost no vacant space in the retail market in Beaverton right now. And so wow. we're all just waiting for new construction to come online. So, you know, downtown is rough. If, if you've been an office broker or you've been an office investor in downtown Portland, it's been a tough two years. Um, but it's also not doomsday. You know, we do think that the fundamentals are good and we are seeing some people coming back into town. So even in that area, I'd say that the, the future is bright in Portland. Yeah. And do you see any, um, like when you start going just a little further out as well, like, you know, the McMinnville's or, um, I mean, we had a shopping center in McMinnville that we had for gosh, 12 years and a great little pocket and, uh, you know, did really well. Uh, it, I haven't heard those areas getting really hit like those. They kind of just yeah. have been the same. Yeah, I think those have been very similar. Um, you know, when you're especially when you're getting out into wine country, that that's got a draw that is um, I don't know if it's pandemic proof, but it's it's certainly been OK during all of this. The interesting thing is that the I-5 corridor up and down, like if you start talking about Woodburn or you start talking about, you know, things north of Vancouver on that side, because of the demand for industrial and because of the geographical constraints of our city with the mountains on both sides and, and then the urban growth boundary as a, a planning device, the demand for industrial space on the I-5 corridor is insatiable. And so people are pushing further and further south or further and further north and I know NEIP just sound properties is very well established in that kind of mid middle of the Washington state. Well, we're doing stuff all the way down I-5, you know, getting down to Salem and even past Salem towards Eugene. So I'd say those markets are seeing probably more activity than they ever have. Yeah. Yeah. That and industrial, you know, in this market up here, I mean, you know, the industrial brokers in the office, I mean, they're, they're just busy. I mean, yeah. and, and trying to find sites is really difficult yeah. to find anything. And you're seeing the rents push up. Um, we're seeing base rents now are at what rents plus 
Yeah. Cams and nets used to be. Exactly. Um, so it's it's uh, it's definitely an interesting an interesting market. People are getting a little nervous mm-hmm. uh, to kind of see where it's going to go, um, but it just makes sense as you move down south and you start hitting you know those marketplaces. Uh, you start getting to Portland. You start going along I five. I five has always been really busy. Yeah. Um, and uh, and continues. Um, I think the 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 hard thing for investors is that when I talk to investors, they're trying to you want to be in the path of progress, mm-hmm. but you don't want to be in the hype of progress. Mm-hmm. So it's that, where is it going to get to? And I mean, I've got clients I've worked with that go all the way down I-5 buying up ag land mm-hmm. with the anticipation in the next 20 years, it's going to be industrial at some point in time. That's the long time. That's the long-term thinker. Yep. Um, and, well, I'd, I'd add on to that, that, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges for investors right now is to find the value add property. Uh, probably up and down the West Coast, frankly. I don't think it's yeah. unique to Portland. It's probably in Seattle. And interestingly, kind of a, a play that we're all watching is who's going to start reinvesting in downtown right now because they think that that's where the value add is. Because right. the suburban markets have traditionally, or at least recently, that's been where you could expand and you know pick up something that was maybe tired and reposition it or you know retenant something. But right now that's been pretty picked through. So you know what's the opportunity downtown? That's kind of a question. Have you, have you heard anything around the downtown market as it relates to financing? Are there any are there any properties? I mean, is there grumblings that there's going to be some potential foreclosures if something doesn't happen in the next twelve to twenty four months? Or you know, I, I haven't heard that. Okay. Um, I think that you know, I think that the the ownership of downtown Portland's key assets is very well capitalized, and so I I just don't think that we're going to be seeing um, that happen. If things don't improve, you know, over the next months or years, that that could change. But that's not been the buzz right now. Uh, yeah. Everybody's just been holding tight. I think the the kind of the question mark is, you know, where are your capital investments in downtown? Because we had a huge shift towards the open office concept, the so-called amenities wars, where you know the downtown office buildings were being amenitized with really common area space that um, the theory was would make one building more competitive than another for a big office user. Well, that stuff all got really called into question in March of 2020. And we don't know if that interest is going to return or not. So is there going to be more capital investment to reconfigure office space or to reconfigure those common areas? Um, But I I don't think that those are going to be terminal issues for ownerships, at least not, not at scale. Yeah. And what about uh, like multifamily? I mean, the Pearl District was always, I mean, that was hot. I mean, anywhere, try to try to move into the Pearl, you're just not going to get there um, on a budget. Yeah. Um, are you seeing um, multifamily? Is there a lot of vacancies? Are there a lot of apartments trading hands or is it is it still holding strong? Well, first caveat is that multifamily is not our specialty. And so I, I don't know as much, but I would say from what I hear, you know, there there are stories of cap rates that are down in the fours and maybe even below that for multifamily, uh, even in Portland. Uh, I think that the preference of investors is outside of Multnomah County, just because of some concerns around the inclusionary zoning and requirements for affordable housing. However, I have personally talked to some developers who have kind of cracked code on that and still can make things pencil um, for new development in Multnomah County. And the you know, just the kind of anecdotal drive around town, construction hasn't slowed down on multifamily, even for ones that were were uh, kind of before the inclusionary zoning permitting process. There's definitely stuff coming online that's after that. So um, 
my sense is that the overall housing demand in Portland continues to be strong enough that multifamily is viable. Um, I mean, I think the Pearl living experience is definitely different right now than it was two years ago. And I'm not sure it's as attractive as it was, but I, I don't think those will go away. Now, the big question there is, will the demand for housing stay this high or are people going to start looking for other markets that are more affordable, like Boise, for example, which gets a lot of attention or either even further over, we were talking about our friends in Montana and to what degree is that going to become a new affordable destination when Portland isn't anymore? Yeah. Well, Montana can thank Yellowstone, right? Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, Bozeman, I'm seeing Bozeman cap yeah. rates, you know, in the fours. Yeah. It's like, holy cow. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, talking to the folks in the, in the buildings office, I mean, it, which it's beautiful out there, as you know, I mean, you get out there and it's this beautiful country. Um, we're fortunate. Pacific Northwest as a whole is just a bunch of states with a lot of beauty. Yeah. Um, it's just trying to find the right location. Um, what about the other side? If you're heading up like Clackamas and you know over that area, is, are you seeing much growth over there, or is it fairly flat? Or kind of what's going on in that little area? You know, we tend to see a lot of industrial developments out there, um, particularly once you get kind of east of the the 205 freeway. Um, and so we have a lot of activity over there, both on the property management and brokerage side. Uh, I think that. You know, because of 205, because of the proximity to I-84 to go east-west and, you know, still not being too far from I-5, it's kind of an attractive location for that. So, um, you know, I'd say that's primarily what we see come up there. That said, there are some landmark retail centers out there that are really turning over, either new ownership or some repositioning and pretty strong investments. So we have seen some of our uh, retail tenant rep interest go towards that kind of Clackamas area. Um and then I'd say that, you know, that further out in the future, there's kind of interesting community development stuff happening in Oregon City to try to make that more of a destination or, um, you know, to leverage that proximity to Mount Hood. Because once you get out there, you know, you're 45 minutes from the mountain and that's that's kind of attractive. Yeah, very much so. And and now with a lot of these and we've had these conversations, you know, around the hybrid working, mm-hmm. um, you know, my I, my oldest daughter who just graduated from college, I mean, she's interviewing for these jobs and they're like one day in the yeah. office and right. four days working from home. I mean, it's a lot different than when we came out of school where you're in an office and you're there by eight and yeah. you couldn't leave before five. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now it's, uh, you know, the onboarding is a lot different. And, and I've got friends and I'm sure you do too. They got letters from their CFOs that said, you can live anywhere in the Pacific, you know, Northwest, same time zone. Doesn't yeah. matter where you're at. You can live wherever you want. So uh, I've got friends that are big hunters and they're moving, you know, over to Idaho or they're going to Eastern Washington and still working their jobs at the, uh, the corporate in Seattle. So, um, I was just going to say, I see those areas like that, like Oregon cities are beautiful areas and you can get really nice homes and really nice locations. And it makes sense that could, that could be growing as well. I was going to say too, in addition to that, that an area that's really, I think grown even faster than it already was is on the Washington side of the river going east out the Columbia River Gorge. Uh, you know, Camas has had a huge, you know, has it, it's kind of, I wouldn't even say it's new. It's been developed very thoroughly out in Camas, but now it's starting to push out into Washougal or even a little bit farther on the gorge because it's absolutely gorgeous out there. And if you're not commuting in every day, it becomes more and more viable. So, yeah. plus there's a there's some tax advantages to being on the Washington side of the river from Oregon. So I think that's what part of why Clark County has just been blowing up. 
Yeah. And it's hard to find anything. I mean, I've got clients that are, they're having a scour to try to find things out in those markets and it's, uh, um, it's hard. It is. Um, and maybe, maybe that, that's a good segue into kind of the markets of um, what are you hearing from like your investors or the brokers that are out in the field saying, where are the opportunities? Because I mean, we all, as investors, we all want to get a 7% return on our money. We want, you know, low risk, you know, me and everybody else. Right. So um, trying to get a, 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 a gauge of if I'm looking to invest in the surrounding Portland market MSA, is there is there certain pockets or certain asset classes that would be good for me to uh, to consider? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that I always like to say that people should follow their level of expertise and comfort and kind of figure out what's a good fit for them. So, you know, mostly what we'll see is we'll see people who are retail investors looking for retail opportunities or industrial looking for industrial. And when you cross that up, it gets a little complicated because it's really hard to assess where you're going to be able to place your money and be effective right now. So for example, we have a client who's very much um, an expert at multi-tenant industrial, kind of like small flex spaces that can kind of lean office, they can lean, you know, light industrial or somewhere in between. And there's definitely opportunities in our market to pick up those kinds of um, locations because you might have tenants that are as small as a thousand or 2000 feet, and then you could have some larger spaces. And so, you know, I think that when you're on the ownership side, the value of your property may have never been higher. And so there is some interest to sell that, but if it's, you know, you've got shorter term leases or something that might be a little bit more attractive to a value add investor, that's where they can jump in. So same thing with retail, they're hard to find, but they're out there. Um, kind of on the other side, and I'm sure you're seeing this too, but a lot of our clients are wanting to take advantage of that increase in value in their property, but they're concerned about where they're going to exchange, what, what's out there to exchange into. So one anecdote I'll tell you there is that uh, one of our clients has um, a, a solid portfolio here in the Portland metro area, and um, they had some money that they received in an exchange, and they asked us to go shop completely different regions of the country just to help diversify. And they weren't looking for they weren't really looking for value add. They were looking for security, credit tenants, you know, triple net deals, low, low management. Um, and so that that's just another play is, you know, if, if you want to pay for security, you can get it. And we did. Uh, and we got to leverage the NEI Global Network to have on the ground folks in, you know, southeastern United States, East Coast, Texas, and we're able to, to acquire assets for them that really check their boxes. So I, I think it's, you know, the investment strategy is kind of dependent on the situation and, you know, what you're looking for. But as always, there's opportunities if you know how to manage it. Yeah, no, and I, and I just, uh, it's funny because today we just went into agreement with a property out of Arizona and that's the beauty of NEI Global. You know, not to give a global pitch here, but, um, right. you know, having having that network, you know, I working with the, the the folks over at NAI Black or working with the folks in, you know, Billings or Boise. I mean, it's just nice to have those relationships to help the clients out because Seattle's expensive. I mean, yeah. certain, you know, and the individuals are trying to take advantage of selling at a three and a half, 3.75 cap um, and take the money elsewhere. I mean, I was on the phone earlier with someone out of Jackson um, to, to do, do a shopping center. And it was, a, it was the same thing. So, um, no, it's 
that's part of our job, right? Our job is to help the clients kind of find those locations. Um, And unfortunately, I don't have a lot of people that are saying, hey, Derek, I want to go down to the Portland market. You know, they're, they, 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 they're kind of afraid of the Portland market. And that's the reason why I wanted to have a podcast with you. Cause I, I, I know there's a lot of great things going on down there and it's got to get away from the noise and realize it's going to get better yeah. um, and take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I think at any point when you can rely upon on the ground expertise, that's been here for a long time, then you can cut through that noise of what's in the national media. I mean, I live five miles from downtown Portland and even though I was aware of the protests and things going on at the courthouse downtown, you know, that, that never had any direct effect on me, even though I was essentially driving by it every day on the way to the office. So it's, it's not to underplay, you know, kind of how serious that was and the, the core issues that were behind it. But at the end of the day, it really didn't affect most of us here in Portland. So, you know, I'm really glad you're bringing this up with your audience because we are open for business in Portland and we can help them find what they need. Yeah. Um, and I, the NEI Global Network thing, I think, is probably even more important as a distinguishing factor during this pandemic, because yeah. I've been on the phone with the guys in Boise like three times in the last two weeks because we've got folks who are interested in there. We do um, uh, we have a managed property in Phoenix or Tucson that we work on with NEI Horizon, and they just leased it up for the first time doing the on the ground leasing down there yeah. for a client that's based here in Oregon, but owns that property from, you know the last time that we went afield trying to find some good, you know, some good value add stuff. So yeah. global, the global network is hard to beat. Yeah, no. And, and I like working out of the Phoenix office cause I like going down there as often as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're very hospitable. They always exactly. have a place for you to land and, and do some business. So a uh, great group to work with. It is. Well, well, when you think about, when you think about kind of the, the, the future of the market and you think about your management side of the business, so let's talk some management side of the things. I'm finding it more costly in some areas as it relates to management, because now we are doing more day porters. We are dealing with more graffiti. We are dealing with some of the things that we have to deal with and removing campers. We had a camper at a shopping center that, you know, we had to put notice on and we had to keep following up and then they had to tow it away. And um, so are there, you know, are, are you, I guess kind of how are you handling those situations um, as it relates to just some additional cost and how are your clients, you know, uh, dealing with those? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the the most important thing you can do is to try to project um, as early and accurately as possible. Um, because when you start making projections that do take into account those added costs, either because of the necessity of porter graffiti, you know, camper removal, or, um, you know, to try to think about what contingencies need to be in place, that starts the conversation. And then you can be planful with ownership about, you know, what are you going to do? do? Do we need to make some adjustments on other things? Do we need to defer some capital projects so that we can keep the tenants open and operating for business? Uh, and again, the earlier you're getting that conversation, the better. Um, it's a tough environment, though. There's no way around it. I mean, we're seeing insurance costs go up. And in, in large part, it's not because of rioting in Portland or issues from the pandemic. It's because of natural natural disasters across the United States over the last several years, which have really pushed the the property insurance companies and their um, their backers to the brink. So we're seeing, you know, eight to 15% increases as a general range. And then even like horror stories of 20 plus um, percent increases on insurance. Yeah. And so that really speaks to your point that there are some costs that you just, you know, they're necessities and you can't control them. So it becomes a conversation about if you need to, to look for other opportunities. Now, the good thing is 
back to my earlier comments that with, with some exceptions, but certainly in that retail core that we do most of our property management for, it tends to be that the tenants who have survived at this point, they're thriving. And if there have been vacancies, in many cases, they're being picked up. So we're seeing some added revenue to help offset those increased costs. Yeah, that was my next question was about absorption. Are you seeing, um, you know, there's always going to, in a situation that we've had, unfortunate situation that we've had, there's been people that couldn't make it through with their businesses. Are you seeing um, leasing activity happening or, or are they staying vacant? No, I think, again, suburban, anything outside of the, the CBD has been snapped up. Um, and I'd say restaurants are, are one of the kind of sub-industries that have been affected the most. Um, but some restaurants are having their best years ever. You know, they've really pivoted to a takeout model or delivery model and, and they've just thrived. And, and we've got some tenant representation on that side where they're just growing like gangbusters, you know, taking up every space they can find. Um, I would say some of the more urban restaurants have struggled. And uh, if, if you know, we're unfortunately reading the news, some of our favorites that are, you know, going out of business here, or going out of business there, and that's kind of a bummer. Um, but overall, the demand for those spaces is strong. And so I'd say across our managed portfolio, by and large, either the restaurants have made it because they pivoted or we've been able to have new activity to pick up those spaces. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, it, it, we're seeing the same. You know, the, the suburban markets have been so strong yeah. um, and, and you start going into other markets around, you start going a little further out, right? You take that little 10 mile ring around downtown and say, okay, what's on that belt? And what's the market? And it's it's uh, and there's not really new construction coming on uh, yeah. to serve on the retail side. So that's just gonna I've got to think it's gonna affect the rents and the rents will start to go up. And yeah, demand is there. So um, an interesting little thing that's happened in Portland, which I, frankly I don't understand, um, just kind of from a philosophical standpoint or practical one, is that I don't believe you can build new drive-through restaurants in the city of Portland at this mm-hmm. point. And so the the rush on former drive through spaces is just like I mean it was immediate. You know, in, any drive through that comes in is at a premium, and any uh, you know even if it's kind of a derelict property, if it is grandfathered into that uh, that drive through model, then people want it. So yeah. um, it's funny how that kind of stuff drives demand. <laughs> it, well, it is especially now with what came out of the pandemic. What I'm seeing is people want that they want an extra large queue before you can have a. A smaller queue for the drive-through. Now you want a bigger drive-through and patio space. Yep. Right. Exactly. Because I mean, it, it, they're kind of thinking: if this happens again, can I? Yeah. Oh, keep open and uh, and keep operations going. Absolutely. So, yeah. Totally, totally, totally makes sense. Well, Jordan, I don't want to take up your whole day here, but I I, <laughs> I wanted to have you on here. Um, you know, I I, I think uh, you know we we love working with your firm. Every everybody that we've worked with on your end, great team. Um, and, uh, and if anybody out there listening is looking to do any business down in Southwest Washington, you know, the Vancouver market, Portland market, that surrounding area, you know, definitely reach out to NEI Elliott, um, or reach out to me and I'll put you in contact with Jordan as well. So, um, any final thoughts, Jordan, as we lean into 2022 and, and what's the, uh, the big plans and what do you, what, what's your big thought for 20? Well, you can leave us with your thoughts for 2022. I love it. Well, first of all, I'll just say, Derek, thank you for doing this. It's uh, it's a joy talking to you. I think we could probably keep on going back and forth for a lot longer, but uh, your audience may exhaust get exhausted before we do. Um, and I would say that uh, the first, I got to tell this quick anecdote before I answer your question. The first day that we joined NEI Global, we were at, at a convention in New York City, 
And we, we didn't know who we were. We didn't know anybody. And we sat down for dinner at a table with Ari uh, from your office and from, and Scott Coombs up there and uh, our affiliates from Denver and a couple other locations. And we had the absolute warmest welcome that started a really strong relationship. And I personally have relied on Scott for guidance on multiple occasions. And uh, I think our brokers have a lot of really good work together. So in some ways, I, I think that, you know, when we look at our clientele, I hope they think about our entire Pacific Northwest region as really being covered uh, with an expertise that goes from your office out to the eastern part of Washington with NEI Black and NEI Tri-Cities, and then all the way down through Oregon with us in NEI Cascade. And we've got we've got the states covered with some real experts. So um, I can't help but make that little, that little uh, pitch. Um, let's see, my big thought for for 2022, you know, I think that um, I think that the volume of transactions is going to keep the same pace that it has, and uh, that's a, that's high pace from our experience. It's more than we've ever seen, and the pipelines are just absolutely full. So that tells me that there's just a lot of activity out there and a lot of possibilities that people are exploring. So there's never a better time to get good guidance, good support, good counsel, and we would just love the opportunity to do it. Yeah, that's uh, very well said. I, I I think I concur exactly with those thoughts. There's so much activity, and our job is to try to help our clients not just leap into something and exactly. make sure we analyze it. And uh, I know you know you with the valuation services, just like us, and and uh, you know thanks to the group out of the the Billings office. You know I feel really fortunate that we have that tool that allows us to do a lot a lot of valuations for buyers Absolutely. and even current property owner. So yep. um, that's uh, that's good for us. Well, with that, I'm going to let you get back to work. And uh, and then I want to sign off and thank everybody for listening to the podcast. And thanks again, Jordan. And if anybody needs any assistance with anything down in the Portland marketplace, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out to Jordan at uh, Elliot or NAI Elliot, or you can reach out to me and I'll get you guys in contact with, uh, with Jordan. Awesome. So, Absolutely. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you should have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to me directly at Derek at DokeMail.com. Also, if you're interested in knowing more about how other brokers and agents are building a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio without using any of their own money, visit my website at www.theartofsyndication.com. Again, thanks for listening, and I hope you all have a great day.